based on the documented need for additional education in prostate cancer, bladder cancer, and renal cell carcinoma, the AUA is launching a series of podcasts, the AUA Expert Exchange Podcast, discussions about managing GU cancer. These activities are designed to increase the clinician's competency in the application of new and emerging treatment options, including their mechanisms of actions and associated side effects. This educational series is supported by independent educational grants from the following companies. Amgen, Bastellus, AstraZeneca, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Genomic Health, Merck, Pfizer Incorporated, Sanofi Genzyme, and Eurogen Pharma. The following activity is brought to you by the American Urological Association. The American Urological Association is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education to provide continuing medical education for physicians. To learn how to claim CME credits for your participation in this activity, or to view faculty disclosures, please visit the AUA University at auau.auanet.org. Hi, this is Vic Nitty, Chair of the AUA Office of Education and I'd like to welcome you to another Office of Education podcast. This one is in our series on the AUA Expert Exchange podcast, discussion about managing GU cancer. And today we'll be discussing comorbidities in prostate cancer. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host for today, Dr. Alicia Morgans. Dr. Morgans is uh, a genital urinary medical oncologist and associate professor of medicine at Northwestern University uh, in Chicago. Uh, Alicia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, great. I'm just going to go over a couple of learning objectives and then we'll get right into it. So our learning objectives for this podcast are going to be to recognize cardiovascular comorbidities and describe their management in the context of prostate cancer treatment and to differentiate the roles of the urologists as well as other specialists and primary care providers in the care of patients with prostate cancer. So Alicia, we'll get right into it and I'm going to ask you, why is cardiovascular disease an issue when we consider treatment of our patients with prostate cancer? So I, I think that in general, when we think about these patients, we, we have to recognize that this is usually an older patient population because the median diagnosis or median age of diagnosis is around 66 years old in the US at least. Um, and we know that elderly men have to be aware of cardiovascular disease, whether they have prostate cancer or, or not. And especially as the US population is really aging um, with uh, at least a quarter, if not a third of the population expected to be over 65 by 2050. I really think we have to, in general, uh, as, as physicians who treat patients with any genitourinary condition, we have to be aware of cardiovascular disease. I mean, I, I guess we could say in general for any patients in this, in this age group that cardiovascular disease is going to be a concern for most Americans. Absolutely. It's really the leading cause of death uh, for men in the U.S. Um, it's the primary cause of death in more than a quarter of men over 65 and nearly a third of men um, who are over 85. So it's the second most common cause of death in men with prostate cancer, with prostate cancer being the most common. So this is a, an issue for men with prostate cancer, and it's an issue for men in general. 
So are there particular concerns regarding cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular morbidity uh, for prostate cancer survivors in terms of uh, the treatments that they choose or receive? Um, and can those treatments put them at higher risk? Absolutely. So men with prostate cancer tend to uh, end up having increased risk if they end up receiving treatment with androgen deprivation therapy, those LHRH agonists or antagonist treatments uh, that we use. Um, and up to half of men with prostate cancer end up receiving some form of ADT uh, during the, the course of, of their disease process. And we also have to remember that if they get more intensive hormonal suppression with treatments like abiraterone or enzalutamide, um, these also increase their risk. So they, they are exposed to things that may increase their risk more than the baseline individual um, who, who, you know, a man in the U.S. So how specifically does androgen deprivation therapy affect the heart and affect cardiovascular disease? Well, ADT affects the heart and cardiovascular disease because it lowers testosterone. And it's really interesting um, that testosterone, among all of its many roles, actually plays a role in the cardiovascular system as well. So multiple um, studies have been done on this, looking at the effects of, of testosterone on uh, the cardiovascular system have found that it's associated with coronary vasodilation. Um, and in men with coronary artery disease, um, testosterone actually prolongs the time to ischemia and stress testing. So, so there's that. Um, additionally, it may play a role in plaque stability uh, in cardiovascular disease and can even potentially have an antiarrhythmic effect um, with low testosterone causing um, QT prolongation for some, some men. So um, importantly also in men with cardiovascular disease, low testosterone seems to be associated with increased all-cause cardiovascular mortality. So ADT, because it causes low testosterone, has these effects on, on uh, cardiovascular disease. So testosterone actually, the presence of testosterone will actually increase the stability of a plaque that's already formed? Yeah, you know, I, I think that there's not been loads and loads of, of studies on this, but the studies that have been done, and these are mostly in, you know, models, in, in vitro models, um, it does seem to increase the stability of, of these plaques. So it's it's something for us, I think, to think about whether, whether um, whether patients have low testosterone and, and whether they may have an increase in, in terms of their cardiac risk, whether they're on ADT or have low testosterone in some other venue of their urologic care. So, so those are you know, excellent pathophysiologic assumptions, but is there evidence that ADT actually is associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease in men with prostate cancer. So there, there is. And I think it's important for us always to remember that just because we find something in mice or in a laboratory, um, it's important for us to actually then find those same things um, 
as evidenced in our patient population. So there is evidence in men with prostate cancer who have been exposed to ADT. Most of that evidence is population-based studies. Um, there have been several studies by the, the group at the Harvard School of Public Health that have used either SEER Medicare or VA databases to find these associations. One particular study, one of the, the first, was a study of about 40,000 men in a VA database um, that found an association between exposure to ADT um, actually, or orchiectomy, and an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, including uh, heart attacks, sudden cardiac death, and stroke. So this has been validated in several of these population-based uh, um, data sets, and really actually led to some, some label changes and some warning statements by the American Heart Association maybe a decade ago or so uh, regarding ADT. Now, is, is risk sort of immediate or is it cumulative? So that's a really important question and a great question to ask because we might think, oh, well, we could just do um, brief spurts of, of ADT, intermittent ADT, and avoid the long-term exposure risk if this is a, a risk that's really increasing with prolonged exposure. But importantly, I think the risk seems to be highest in the first six months of initiating treatment with ADT. Um, separate work in a SEER Medicare database um, found, again, 40,000 men or so, about a 20% increased risk of cardiovascular disease in prostate cancer patients on ADT, with that highest risk really being, again, in the first six months of exposure um, to, to the treatment. Is there a population who is at the highest risk? There is. Uh, so any, anyone who has a, a pre-existing history of coronary artery disease or cardiovascular disease seems to be at increased risk of uh, having another coronary event or, or cardiovascular event when they're exposed to ADT. And this is actually interestingly substantiated both in populations exposed to ADT with uh, LHRH agonists or antagonists alone, or uh, also in patients who are exposed to things like abiraterone or enzalutamide. So a prior history of cardiovascular disease is really one of the most important risk factors we know about um, for future cardiovascular risk associated with hormonal therapy. You know, another question came to my mind as we were as you were mentioning that a lot of the risk occurs in the in the first six months of treatment, is there is there any evidence to support that intermittent uh, androgen deprivation therapy improves or lessens cardiac risk? So there's there's not, and I, I would say importantly, there was a study of intermittent hormonal therapy, and I believe it was in a metastatic population. Um, but this intermittent hormonal therapy from the SWAB group that linked with um, Medicare claims and found in this long-term follow-up that there was an increased risk of cardiovascular thromboembolic type events with intermittent therapy actually as compared to continuous therapy in that study. So, um, so there is no evidence that I'm aware of that uh, intermittent therapy is better in terms of cardiovascular risk and actually may be at, you may be at a higher risk. And part of that, at least if we think back to the pathophysiology, when I've had conversations with people cardiologists and basic scientists who work in cardiovascular type labs is that there may be effects on platelets and certainly on the vasculature, as I've already mentioned, that put, put people at risk when there are shifts in hormonal levels, um, more so than when there's a constant steady state. 
All righty. So you had mentioned that the patients who are at most risk are those who are coming into their therapy, have a history of cardiovascular disease. How commonly do men with prostate cancer have cardiac risk factors? I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty high. It's really high, actually. Um, about 20% of, of men, and this is just from, from one study, but there are several, but 20% of men have cardiovascular disease or peripheral vascular disease. Um, when we think about prostate cancer patients just at their baseline, um, but they also have risk factors for cardiovascular disease. So it's not just that the guys who already have disease that um, we need to pay attention to, I think. About 60% of men in this population at least had um, had pre-existing hypertension, and about half of them had high cholesterol, and about 20% had diabetes. So when we think about men with prostate cancer, and we remember that these are older population, of, this is an older population of men generally, um, they have all these cardiac risk factors, and many of them also have just overt cardiovascular disease. And are there any other risk factors for cardiovascular disease that can be affected by the initiation of ADT? There are. So we all know, I think, in the urology community that ADT has multiple effects, most of them driven by the low testosterone levels, others driven actually by low estrogen levels, uh, including the cardiovascular risks, but risk factors like uh, developing insulin resistance and then having an increased risk of developing overt diabetes are also affected. Um, interestingly and importantly, uh, cholesterol is affected um, in the setting of ADT as well. So we see things like total cholesterol going up, triglycerides and LDL going up, HDL goes up as well, but although we know that that's actually a, a kind of a, net, a good effect in terms of cardiovascular risk, the increase in HDL is not enough to offset the, um, the other cholesterol changes that we have. Now, are there also effects on BMI or body composition? Absolutely. So um, we know that ADT increases anterior abdominal adipose tissue and decreases lean muscle mass that we need to stay fit and healthy. Um, it increases the risk of sarcopenia, this sort of the wasting of, of, of muscles that allow you to be fit and healthy. And on all of these effects increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. So obviously our, our patients with prostate cancer, many of them seem to be at significant risk. Uh, and obviously that needs to be taken into consideration as we uh, determine how we're going to treat these patients. So are there specific guidelines that address cardiovascular disease and risk factors in men with prostate cancer? Thankfully, there are. The National Comprehensive Cancer Network, or the NCCN, has put together guidelines, and the American Heart Association has as well. Um, there's a, a nice algorithm that our, our group, actually, or a group that I work with, has put together that has been incorporated into both of those guideline sets called the ABCDE algorithm, which is the way that I try to think about things because I think it can be hard to remember all of the risk factors that, that go together, but this ABCDE algorithm um, helps us think through the risk factors and those, those things that we can um, intervene upon and, and affect to reduce the cardiovascular risk for our patients. Can we go through that algorithm? Yeah, of course. 
So um, A is really all about awareness, making sure that patients are aware of cardiovascular signs and symptoms, um, the classic ones and the not so classic ones that you know, cardiovascular events, if you're having a heart attack, it's not always going to manifest only as, you know, crushing chest pain and jaw pain. It could also be nausea or it could also be shortness of breath and fatigue. So thinking through that whole constellation of signs and symptoms. Um, a also used to represent always aspirin, although now we recommend that patients um, who are not prescribed aspirin for overt cardiovascular disease actually talk to their physicians because there can be risks associated with aspirin use. We don't just recommend that everybody use even a baby aspirin at this point, but to talk to your primary care doctor or a cardiologist about whether aspirin may be of benefit in terms of reducing your cardiovascular risk. B is really blood pressure. Um, and the most current blood pressure guidance that we have at this point for men who don't have a, a diagnosis of hypertension and have other goal blood pressures is to have a blood pressure of less than 140 over 90. This is also the recommendation for, for individuals with diabetes. Though sometimes um, when, when patients talk to their doctors, they are going to want to have a little bit of a lower goal blood pressure threshold, but for the general population, 140 over 90. C is thinking about cholesterol management um, and really making sure that patients have somebody keeping an eye on their total cholesterol and their LDL, um, as well as their triglycerides to make sure that those levels are within recommended levels for them. Sometimes that uh, LDL goal is, is 100 or less, sometimes it's lower. That's all gonna be determined by either primary care doctor or cardiologist in most cases. Um, but also remembering that HDL should be on the high side, above 40 if at all possible, that reduces cardiovascular risk. One of the most common other things that we think about with C is cigarettes. Smoking uh, cessation is, is really, really important. Um, D is uh, for diabetes, and uh, I think for patients who don't already have diabetes, it's important for us to recognize that ADT increases the risk of insulin insensitivity and the risk of developing diabetes. So um, thinking about having someone, whether it's primary care or, or someone in the urology practice, thinking about getting at least an annual hemoglobin A1C to check in on that and prescribing appropriate oral medications or even insulin if that's necessary for men with diabetes. And D also stands for diet, ensuring that men have a heart-healthy diet includes diets that are low in saturated fat and high in fruits, vegetables, and fibers um, because that's going to be uh, what we need to really um, reduce the cardiovascular risk and, of course, ensure adequate calcium for their bone health as well, um, as well as avoiding excess alcohol. And then finally, E is exercise, getting um, a, a moderate uh, amount of exercise every week. And there are all kinds of guidances around this, but trying to have at least 75 minutes a week of vigorous exercise is what's recommended, or even 150 minutes if it's moderate intensity, physical activity to reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. Okay, I'm just going to wait for that siren. Yeah, to stop. sorry about that. No, that's okay. I'm looking for my mute button. There it is. But <laughs> I, it, we have the worst uh, acoustics no, here. That, that, <laughs> not, not to worry. Um, okay, so my next question is, I, as a urologist, have identified a patient uh, that I am going to start or would like to start on androgen deprivation therapy, um, and that patient has some cardiac risk factors. Um, do I need to get 
their cardiologist uh, involved or other healthcare providers involved? So, you know, I think that really depends on, on you and your practice because there are some urology practices that are really engaged in all of these of these um, sort of supportive um, internal medicine type things that need to happen for or for men with advanced prostate cancer who are on ADT, um, some of, some of these practices engage with um, mid levels or APPs who really are dedicated to that. Uh, but even in my oncology practice, I tend to like to um, phone a friend for some of these things because. Uh, they're, they're just a little bit outside of my purview. So I engage a lot with primary care doctors as well as cardiologists and cardio-oncologists who, who specialize in these things, particularly for men who have cardiovascular disease at baseline or diabetes at baseline. Um, I, I usually ask them to try to manage blood pressure, manage lipids, make sure that we're screening for um, diabetes, as I, I mentioned before, and even think about things like recommending stress tests um, or other further cardiac evaluations, if that's necessary. Um, I, I know, you know, as a as an oncologist, I'm actually trained as an internist as well. But I think that uh, even for for me and for my practice, it's it's nice to be able to partner with folks who focus on cardiovascular health, the diabetes, blood pressure as their primary um, their primary area of practice and expertise, um, really to to get the best care for patients. But that's going to vary, I think between practices and, and even between urologists in a given practice who might want to take on more or less of those activities. Well, I think it's, it's a good message for our urologists to uh, at least say if this is something that you prefer to defer to the individual specialist, the cardiologist, the endocrinologist, et cetera, that it's, it's probably a good idea to inform them of the treatment plan and get them involved early. And for those that feel uh, comfortable handling the situation themselves, then by all means, um, uh, if they feel they have that level of expertise that they can, uh, can take that on. Absolutely. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, cardiovascular disease risk and, and other medications. Um, are there approaches to treating men with androgen deprivation therapy that may be less risky in terms of cardiovascular disease? Yeah, I, I think there may be. I would emphasize may because I don't know that we have definitive answers on this yet, but there are definitely questions about it. So um, there is some evidence that treatment with LHRH antagonists may be associated with less risk in terms of cardiovascular disease um, due to some differences in the way that FSH is increased with our GnRH or LHRH agonists. Um, and if that's the case, um, this may be an approach to, to trying to provide um, that sort of backbone of ADT with less risk. The studies that we have had already, though, are really not large enough, not prospective, uh, long-term enough for us to really draw definitive conclusions, but there are ongoing prospective studies that are trying to understand this better. How about some of the newer uh, androgen receptor-directed therapies? Is their risk higher, lower, the same when it comes to cardiovascular disease? 
Well, it looks like, particularly for men who have had a history of cardiovascular disease, there does seem to be potentially increased risk of cardiovascular effects associated with abiraterone and enzalutamide. Uh, and interestingly, there was a, a nice study that was recently reported that looked at these men with pre-existing cardiovascular disease um, and those that were treated with abiraterone or enzalutamide found that they had a, a actually a higher all-cause mortality when they had that cardiovascular history uh, in terms of that risk when, when they're exposed to these drugs. So it does look like there's a signal there. It's something to consider. It doesn't mean that patients shouldn't receive those treatments if that's the right decision for their prostate cancer, but that we might monitor them more closely, partner with our cardio-oncologists or cardiologists or primary care to reduce any modifiable risk factors like hypertension and cholesterol and ensure that they're uh, as safe as can be from a cardiovascular standpoint as we try to do our best um, to, to affect their prostate cancer. And lastly, are there any other considerations regarding cardiovascular disease, cardiac disease, and um, any androgen uh, uh, deprivation therapy, including some of the newer AR-directed therapies? I think so. I think that one of the things that we have to be aware of as we are prescribing, particularly the oral agents, is that there can be a fair number of drug-drug interactions with, with these, and, and a lot of those drug-drug interactions are uh, around medicines that we use for cardiovascular disease. So I do think it's important when we are entering these drugs into our, um, our prescription systems to have to ensure that there is a a way that that system is always looking for drug-drug interactions as we're prescribing those medications. Because if we do need to use particular medicines for the prostate cancer treatment, um, we may want to partner again with primary care or cardiologists to have the other cardiac medicine that they're on that may have an interaction adjusted or else choose a different medicine against uh, the prostate cancer. But just to be aware that there are interactions uh, for some of these medicines and we need to be just really careful um, with what we do that we don't cause harm while we're trying to help. Well, um, Alicia, this has really been uh, uh, eye-opening, uh, certainly for me. Um, as I think about it, what we've learned today is, first of all, that cardiovascular disease is common in our patients with prostate cancer. And you know, while we probably knew that, it might be something that we don't think about so much, especially um, given that androgen deprivation therapies can have an effect on cardiovascular disease and seem to be particularly, um, and that, that, that seems to be particularly pronounced in men who have pre-existing cardiovascular disease, as well as just perhaps predisposing men to cardiovascular disease based on the therapy. And I, and I think uh, I've also learned that it's important to consider this and partner with our colleagues who handle various aspects of cardiovascular disease and diabetes, et cetera, to sort of optimize our patients so they're at the least risk for suffering a consequence of that androgen deprivation therapy. Um, so I think that's been very enlightening. Any other words of wisdom that you have for us on this topic? No, I would just say that as we have more and more therapies available for our patients and as those therapies are moving earlier and earlier in the 
in the disease treatment algorithm, urologists are going to have more and more engagement with men um, and, and more and more need to do more and more thinking about cardiovascular disease because the treatments that we use can help men live a lot longer, which means that as we shift our, um, our mortality away from prostate cancer, it is going to be cardiovascular disease, most likely, that is the thing that's going to be the most dangerous thing for these patients. So having this understanding, partnering with our colleagues, and partnering with our patients to make sure that they're aware of this, too, is going to be increasingly important. And I, I really just appreciate the time to talk to everybody about this today. Well, uh, many thanks, Dr. Alicia Morgans, uh, Associate Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University and a GU medical oncologist. Thank you so much for uh, for your time today and really uh, making this uh, uh, what I think is a very informative podcast. I would also like to, as always, thank our audience. And uh, again, uh, remind you that for more information, you can visit our website at auanet.org slash university. Um, Alicia, once again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.